This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the guys continue their Power 5 conferences preview with the Pac-12, including an out-of-the-box draft and the breakdowns of the Player of the Year and Champions. And the Q&A covers the best landing spot for Kevin Durant, as well as our thoughts on the MLB trade deadline and potential moves coming soon. Back to the Dylan and Dylan Show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. Pleasure to be joining you on the TBS network, wherever you listen to podcasts. DJ Dylan Jesperson here in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, joined as always by my man, DH Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And, you know, I had to bring this up at the beginning of the show because I would have forgot. Last weekend, I, I got reminded why live sports are so great. And I almost made this my question for the week, but I decided to change it because of the timing of things. Last Saturday in London, England, the UFC had a fight night, and it was absolutely electric. I sat there, and I watched it with my little brother and kind of introduced him to UFC. And, oh, my goodness, just like that live crowd. And I just – words can't describe it. It was just like – it, it felt like a college football Saturday. Everybody was just going crazy with every strike. Like when Patty the Batty and Meatball Molly came out to their fights, the whole crowd just erupts going crazy. That's their people. I just, it reminds you just how great live sports are. And it, it gets me excited to go to, I mean, I'm going to a minor league baseball game this Saturday. I'm super pumped for that now. Going to a Cardinals game next week. And then obviously football season going to go to so many games. Cannot wait. But yeah, I, just seeing the live live crowd in London just be so enthusiastic and so pumped up. It was really, really neat. And I had a blast watching it. I, it reminds me of UFC so much fun. Like I feel like I never like really pay attention to it until there's a big fight. And I'm like, all right, I got to watch it. I got to see what's going on. And you're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. You got spinning elbows, knocking people out, choking people out. It's just – it's like a, a, the most like – basic barbaric little things in our brain and we see all these people fighting we're like oh this is awesome it's kind of like football where you see people getting hit but it's even more like they're literally fighting i don't know i just i love it it, it brings out the most barbaric parts of me but it's something else but yeah i'm doing great it's i don't know i i absolutely love ufc london i'm doing absolutely great i'm on a it's kind of like a, a high that i've been feeling since saturday it's just like watching the videos back i absolutely loved it um but yeah i'm doing really good how are you doing uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I, I'm in the same vein of kind of just looking forward to football season, not because I watch UFC, but because I've been out to a couple of seven on seven matchups uh, and high school matchups here in Michigan. And uh, you get to that and it's like, it's almost football. You, you can, you, you can tell you're, you're right around the corner. It's just not quite there. You just got to put it all together with the linemen and everything, but we're, we're, we're right there. We're, we're knocking on the door. Uh, today is a continuation of the 2022 summer of college football as we continue our conference-themed shows. Today we are moving out west for a Pac-12-themed show, starting with our out-of-the-box draft. For those that missed last week, any player that we that played for a current Pac-12 
member team is eligible for our draft. And we are tasked with picking a quarterback, a running back, a wideout, a defender, and a wild card player uh, to form the best lineup of players. Uh, I actually have a coin, and you, if you guys probably didn't see as I ran off, uh, I went to go get this special coin. Dylan, have you seen these new 2022 quarters? I have not. Look at that. That's George pretty Washington. neat. He's, yeah. Oh, he's, he's like so nice and crisp. Yeah, I like for, that. For comparison, here's the here's the old one. Yeah, it's a lot different. Facing it looks a lot the better. Other way, yeah. Yeah. Very different. Not not much of good happened in 2020, but I'll, I'll give the quarter a dub yep. for 2020. That quarter is really good. I want heads like always. Okay, well, Wilma Mankiller is on the other side, so I don't know. That's the, that's the tail. That's side. a sick name, <laughs> Wilma Mankiller. Wilma Mankiller. Wilma linebacker. It's, yeah, it's there head, we go. <laughs> With my first pick, I went Wilma Mankiller. <laughs> there's a there's good old Wilma. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, do you put want a, the first Wilma Mankiller linebacker? Do you want the first um, pick yeah. or the second and third pick? I'll take the first pick. All right. Because I think there's a first pick. I think there's a number one pick. And I'm going to my bandwagon team, the USC Trojans in Los Angeles. I'm going with my running back. He could probably be a wild card. I mean, he could literally do anything. Former Heisman winner from the year 2005, number five for the USC Trojans, Reggie Bush. I mean, Reggie is one of the greatest college football players to ever play. I don't care if you had to give the Heisman back. He won that Heisman in 2005, came in fifth in 2004, was on some of the most loaded college football teams of all time, uh, was a running back and went second overall in the NFL draft in 2006. His career stats at USC are silly. 3,000 rushing yards, 25 touchdowns. You got the 1,300 receiving yards along with 13 receiving touchdowns. Put it all together. You'll, you have almost 4,500 total yards from scrimmage to, along with 38 touchdowns. That's just incredible for a three-year production out of a guy that split carries and times uh, in the backfield with Lindell White. So, I mean, just an incredible player. Reggie Bush is so electric. I, he's one of those guys, like, I think of college football, and like, that's like the early days of me like getting to watch, like seeing electric stuff. It's Reggie Bush, and I just, yeah, love Reggie. Had to go with him with my first pick. I'll throw it to you for your first two picks. I definitely love that pick. Obviously, Reggie Bush on top of my running backs list. But there is a great running back that I'm going to wait on a little bit right now. Just I don't want to wait too long because he might go in your wild card spot. But uh, someone that I think could stack up with Reggie if you're looking at the stats wise. Uh, My first pick, surprisingly, I'm going defense because I think the top player in Pac-12 history, at least recent history, is a defender, and his name is Terrell Suggs. That man for Arizona State was a mind-blowing defensive player, and I don't think I want any other AC or Pac-12 defender than Terrell Suggs. Uh, obviously, we all know what Terrell Suggs became as he uh, grew into an NFL player, but if you don't know what he did in his final season at Arizona State, uh, he had just... 31 and a half tackles for loss in a season and an NCAA record 24 sacks. That man did everything. I mean, that man was just uh, like, that's when you're playing NCAA and you have your linebacker chasing like the NCAA record for sacks, you're chasing Terrell Suggs. That's to put it in perspective. That's the guy you're chasing in basically all of the records in that point, the tackles for loss and the, and the sacks record. So uh, that man is just uh on another level, and, and if I 
can't get Reggie Bush with my first pick. Uh, I want to get the best defender. I, I think he might be like the best player, period, in this draft. So give me Terrell Suggs at defense. With my next pick, uh, I'm going to go to the quarterback spot, a guy that you have a bit of a connection to. And I was going to go with a different guy, and I still might keep him, so I'm not going to say his name right now. But I'm going Marcus Mariota. Another Heisman winner from the Oregon Ducks. Uh, and I almost passed up on him. I had a couple guys listed above him. And then I went to Marcus Mario's stat page. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how explosive this dude was in that Oregon offense. And he only played three seasons at Oregon and had 10,796 passing yards and 105 passing touchdowns that's to go along with 2,237 rush yards and 29 rushing touchdowns that's all just in three seasons as an Oregon Duck obviously didn't have the greatest experience uh, in Tennessee uh, but maybe uh, in Atlanta this year we're going to see a a resurgence of Marcus Mariota Um, but there's no question that what he did Oregon was special especially that that, that last year and I'm happy to have him as my quarterback, happy to have him join Terrell Suggs on my team, and I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. Uh, so, yeah, I had both those guys slotted in as, like, my quarterback and my defender. So now I'm scrambling. Um, I'm going to go with my quarterback, my my backup quarterback, I guess you could say. I'm going to go from Stanford. Obviously, I like both those picks. I had them both. I love Marcus Mariota to death. Like, I love that guy. He, like, Ryan Tannehill has been great for the Titans. I've said it a million times on the show. I love Tannehill. Marcus Mariota is my quarterback. I became a Titans fan in 2013. It was whenever Peyton left the Colts. I thought, you can read about this on tvsportsbag.com. I published an article last night literally about this. Uh, but when Peyton left the Colts, I was kind of like, I'm not following the Broncos. Broncos games went on TV here. So I was like, I guess I'm going to be a Titans fan. And it's not like it was a bandwagon at that point. They sucked. And I was really excited because I was like, we're going to get Marcus Mariota. That guy's electric. I loved watching him in Oregon. We've talked about that plenty of times on this show. Oregon was the cool team back then. So, like, I was all pumped up, and I loved Marcus. But obviously didn't work out, but is what it is. Terrell Suggs, I've always kind of hated him because he played for the Ravens, but he is awesome. So, obviously love that pick. Um, My quarterback from Stanford, Andrew Luck. I mean, I think him and Mariota are like the two quarterbacks from the Pac-12 in the past decade or so that it's like they're they're the ones that stand out like head and shoulders above everybody else. Andrew Luck, if people don't remember, he was considered like the greatest prospect ever coming out of Stanford. And maybe – Depending on your definition, Trevor Lawrence got there right with right there with him. But I mean, Luck was the guy, and he was incredible at Stanford. Throwing for ten thousand yards or almost ten thousand yards, nine thousand, uh, eighty-two touchdowns. I mean, just and it's not like Stanford back then was running the spread offense. They ran a very pro-style offense. They had Toby Gearhart tearing up, tearing it up, getting yards all over the place. So I mean. The fact that he's able to almost get 10,000 yards in three seasons to go along with 82 touchdowns speaks to all he did in that pro-style offense at Stanford. I mean, he was so, so good. He uh, finished second in the Heisman uh, Trophy voting twice in 2010 and 2011, which I forgot. Uh, but Andrew looks probably one of those names right there with like Trevor Lawrence, who we talked about last week, who probably should have won a Heisman, but because of circumstances and because of the guys he played against, didn't get to. 2010 would have been Mark Ingram and then 2011 Cam Newton. That, yeah, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> those guys had really, really good years those years. And that's sometimes how uh, the cookie crumbles. My next pick, I'm going to go with my wild card. 
And I am uh, going to go with a guy that was teammates with Marcus Mariota. I think they were teammates. I think that lines up. I think Marcus would have been a freshman. I think they would. I don't know. They went to the same school. They both went to Oregon. I'm going with one of the most electric skill players of all time. I will, like He's teammate with Reggie Bush, two of the most electric skill players of all time in the Pac-12. LaMichael James. I mean, that dude was awesome at Oregon. Uh, finished third in Heisman voting in 2010 and then 10th in 2011. Was selected in the second round of the NFL draft by the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, in three years at Oregon, ran for 5,000 yards. That is absurd. To go along with 53 rushing touchdowns, uh, you got 586 receiving yards to go along with four receiving touchdowns. The guy was a beast at running back. And obviously injuries caught up to him. He didn't have the greatest NFL career. But in college, there was no one like LaMichael James. Just an absolute stud. And I am thrilled to grab LaMichael James and Andrew Luck to go along with uh, Reggie Bush in the first round. Yeah, I'll throw it to you for your next two. Yeah, obviously I love both of those picks. LaMichael James was the running back I was thinking of, so I will have to you know kind of maneuver some of my guys. But there were so many good Pac-12 running backs to pick from. I'm not that... Not that upset about it. Uh, and Andrew Luck, obviously, uh, one of those guys that was on my list. He was my first pick until I really looked at the stats and saw what Mario had d- done. But, I mean, like, what I had written down was he was the first pocket passer quarterback that I legitimately looked at and said, like, that's the best player in the country. I, I usually, like, take a bit off of stats of a pocket pa- of a guy that just sits in the pocket like that because you, you can – you can really ramp up the stats and Mike Leach's Washington state teams are are a good example of that. But Andrew Luck was a different story. That that dude, like you said, just a a different type of beast, different type of animal. Um, Love both of those picks. I'm going to go grab my wide receiver so I can get my first pick at wide receiver. I'm going with the top guy. He might be the the most explosive guy to ever play in the PAC 12. Keyshawn Johnson, USC two seasons at USC. I mean, I, I I don't even believe some of these stats if I didn't like if they weren't on tape somewhere. 168 receptions in two seasons, almost 3,000 yards, 2,796 receiving yards in two seasons. I mean, he almost he, that's 1,500 yards of receiving reception yards a, a season. That's insane stats. 16 touchdowns. Obviously, was going to be the number one overall pick as a wide receiver in 1996 because that's just how good Keyshawn Johnson was, and uh, he's gone on to have a you know kind of a legendary status in the NFL. But Keyshawn Johnson, I, I think, if you're taking a wide receiver out of the Pac-12, gotta get Keyshawn. So uh, happy to get him uh, and to to get my running back to make sure that I get. A decent running back at this point, though, uh, was going to be slated for my wild card number one. Uh, I'm going to have to see where you go with your other last two couple picks to to pick up my wild card. But my RB1 teammates with Michael James, I know they were teammates. De'Anthony Thomas at Oregon uh, maybe fits a little bit better in the wild card. So maybe I'll see what happens in the running back slot. But as of right now, he's my running back. 18 190 rushing yards, 26 touchdowns, also 113 catches, 1,296 yards, uh, and 15 touchdowns. Uh, and an insane return, man. Almost 2,000 yards of kick return yards, four touchdowns, a uh, uh, punt return touchdown as well. Uh, he was just like the like natural progression of what we saw like when, when Percy Harvin was at Florida. He was like the next greatest thing. It was like, that's 
when you get a guy that can do all of those things, this is how you use him. And and Oregon did it almost perfectly with with what DeAnthony Thomas did, almost too perfectly to the point where he was so effective for them that it almost hurt him individually. People didn't look at him the same way that they should have because it was like, dude, that might be the most talented guy Oregon's ever had on the field, and and just because he was used in so many different ways, he wasn't being able to rack up like big rush yards or big pass receiving yards, but dude was talented. I think maybe the most talented running back they've had. And uh, I'm happy to have him at my RB one spot. Join Keyshawn Johnson on my offense. That is looking really, really good uh, out there with you for your next last two picks. I think you just only two more. Yeah. My last two picks. Uh, when D'Anthony Thomas, when I hear that name, obviously it's an awesome pick. He's probably that prime Oregon group that was just so, so cool. And I just think of that kick return he had to start the game against Kansas State in the Fiesta Bowl. I feel like it's in every college football video that's been made since that year where he just takes off. He, like, does the full-on sprinter stance as he crosses the goal line. It's incredible. He, Him and, like, Tavon Austin and Percy Harvin, they set the mold for guys like Debo Samuel with what he's doing in the NFL now. They were doing that in college 10 years ago because everybody talked about how valuable Debo is because he can play running back receiver, do all these things. Those guys were doing it a decade ago in college and just absolutely racking up yards, being the best player in the country. Everybody's like, why doesn't everyone do this? Why don't you find a guy like this and just tear defenses apart? And Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is like, hey, we got this guy, Debo Samuel. We're going to try this DeAnthony Thomas type deal, and it works. Uh, and I really think those guys don't get credit for paving the way for a guy like Debo Samuel to have so much success. And Debo's going to make so much money whenever he signs an extension with the Niners or a new contract somewhere else. Um, my next pick, I'm scrambling at defense. I admitted it. I had Terrell Suggs. I wanted Terrell Suggs. I thought I would be able to get him in my second round of picks, but on my feet, think it. And this is solely because I know he went there. He's a college football Hall of Famer, two-time All-American, Jim Thorpe Award finalist in 2002. I'm going with Troy Palamalu, safety defensive back, however you want to phrase it, from USC. My Trojans, my bandwagon team. Obviously an all-time great Pittsburgh Steeler. He's part of the Pete Carroll era at USC. Uh, he ended his USC career with 278 tackles, 29 tackles for loss, six interceptions, four blocked punts, and three touchdowns. For a DB, a safety, however you want to classify Troy Palomalu, that is ridiculous. I mean, that guy was a freak. Obviously, I think everyone our age was lucky enough to grow up watching Troy in uh, the NFL. I don't quite remember Troy at USC. That's a little bit too long ago. But in the NFL, my dad's a huge Steelers fan. So I was watching the Steelers quite a bit, and Troy Palomalu was the man for a long time in Pittsburgh. I mean, that guy's... Just amazing. I feel like he's talking about paving the way. I feel like he was kind of like the precursor to like Tyron Matthew, but Tyron Matthew is more of kind of a hybrid than even Troy Palomalu was. Uh, it's kind of, it's cool in my head. I've been doing this, like comparing these guys, how they set the uh, path for different players in the future. Um, but yeah, Troy Palomalu for my defender and my receiver. If you listen to this show last summer when we talked college football or through college football season, you have to know who I'm picking here. I'm going to USC. I'm going with number 15, Drake London, the first-round pick of the Atlanta Falcons this season. I I watched Drake London during the pandemic, and I was like, this guy is a freak of nature. I was all in on Drake London, and it sucks because Drake London was on a couple of bad teams at USC, which sucks, but it is what it is. He did what he could, and he made the best of it. In his three years at USC, which were cut short because of the pandemic, and he got hurt, 
had 160 catches for 2,000 yards, 15 touchdowns. I mean, he never played more than eight games in a season, and he put up those numbers. That's incredible. He played six games as a freshman, or eight games as a freshman, excuse me, six games as a sophomore, and then eight games as a junior where he got hurt and was on pace to have an incredible season. Uh, in eight games as a as a junior, 88 catches for 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. He was on pace to do to just put up dummy numbers. And I hopefully he I from everything I've read, he's gonna be okay. He's gonna be able to play like Drake London does when he's playing for the Falcons. Hopefully we get to see a crazy Pac 12 connection between Marcus Mariota and Drake London. Because Drake London is a special talent. I've been riding that hype train for a long time now and I, I'm not hopping off now. I think Drake London's incredible. I think he doesn't he does get the credit, but I don't think he it really in the retrospect of things uh, people are going to forget about him, which sucks. But obviously, I'm a big fan of old Drake, so I'll take him with my receiver spot. That's all my picks. And I think you have one more. I do have one more. I got to get my wild card. Uh, I, I was going to think about like picking a running back, maybe uh, swinging uh, DeAnthony back out to wild card. But I will stick to the quarterback side because there's one quarterback that I feel like if we don't get uh, all the old heads out there going to tell us how flawed we are and how stupid we are, John Elway has got to go. So John Elway is going on the team. Uh, he's Andrew Luck, 80s version, basically. Uh, he's just, you know, went to Stanford, 9, 000, almost 10,000 yards, 77 touchdowns. He was the Pac-10 player of the year in 1980. Uh, he's John Elway. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks that's ever played the game. He's one of the most talented athletes that's ever been uh, in American sports. People forget how good of a baseball player he was. So uh, give me John Elway. Not like thrilled with it, but I th- I feel like it's one of those ones that just has to go. Like if if you're taking the best players in Pac ten or Pac twelve history, uh, you know they got it. John Elway's got to be in there somewhere, even if it's not uh, with a, one of our quarterback one picks. So I'll throw him in my wild card slot uh, and round out my team with DeAnthony Thomas, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, Marcus Mariota, and Terrell Suggs. Do you have any alternates that didn't make your list? Yeah, I did. Um, Carson Palmer from USC, Matt Leinart from USC, Haloti Nada. I, in my scrambling uh, of trying to decide who was going to be my defender, I was between Troy Palomaro and Haloti Nada from Oregon. And just for this draft, I was like, I got to go with Troy because he's got the name value. Haloti Nada's got name value, and Troy's got the stats. Haloti Nada, it's not like he had all the, those impressive stats. It's because he's a D tackle. He's a nose guard. They don't have all that much of crazy stats. If you watch a football game, you know how much Haloti Nada affects an offense and what they can do. So Haloti Nada was incredible. Uh, but, yeah, that, my other alternates all got taken because I, I feel like – I don't know. I, I feel like we got the cream of the crop of the good old Pac-12. Did you have any alternates? Yeah, yeah, you mentioned a few of them. Uh, Kenyon Barner was one of the guys at running back that I would have gone with had I had I gone down there. I mean, Oregon was so stacked with running backs during that era. It's it, it's hard to, to you know differentiate. Um, the the Pac-12 was so deep in running backs. I did not realize it until I mean, Stephen Jackson, Marshawn Lynch, all of those guys are are up there for you know that's a there, there's so many guys that you could have gone with that would have been great picks. Do you remember Joe McKnight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm mad I didn't have him on my list. Javid he was Best. awesome. Yeah. Javid Best. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's not even going back. I, I tried as best as I could. To Jake Locker. 
Yeah, yeah, Jake Locker. That's wow, great. I tried yeah. my best to avoid USC as much as I could because I could did. Really, you could really <laughs> just pick the best USC player at every position, and you would have been you would have been fine. Uh, I, I thought mean, about back, doing that. Go back to Marcus <laughs> Allen, OJ Simpson, obviously, like those guys uh, deserve some sort of recognition, but I don't know what. But um, great draft. We're going to move on to the next, uh, the next, the question and answer segment. I'll start things off this week as trade talks in the NBA have ramped up behind one of the Vegas stars, Kevin Durant. One of the NBA finals team from the 2022, the Boston Celtics, and the Nets have been in talks. It seems to have fizzled, uh, but the Nets seem to really, at the end of the day, want a ton in return. But uh, knowing in the knowing KD is the end result, I'm sure someone is going to pull the trigger at some point. So that's my, my question to you, Dylan is who you think is the best fit for Kevin Durant uh, moving forward. And who do you think will pull the trigger on Kevin Durant moving forward? The best fit. I don't know. It's tough. And I've sat here and thought about it and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with my fly the whim kind of like what I'm thinking in that moment. It's hard because like it's Kevin Durant, either first or second best player in the world at the moment and he could literally fit in on any team it's going to come down to what's happened in Brooklyn where it's how did the personalities mesh because basketball style he can play with anyone put him on the Orlando Magic and they're going to be first in the east I have no doubt about that Orlando's got a lot of talent um but I think he could literally go anywhere the best fit probably Probably a place like Phoenix or I, – I know I'm biased. I, I know I am. Hand up. I really do think a place like Memphis would work because you see what's happened to KD since he's gone to these big markets like San Francisco or like Brooklyn. There's so much attention on him. and It feels like KD – I don't know. He doesn't like that. I don't think. I know he plays into it. He likes to troll on social media. I really don't think he likes where every aspect of his day-to-day life is just under a microscope. You go to a place like Phoenix is a big market, but it's not to the it's not to the degree of a Brooklyn or a Golden State where they're hyper focused on you at all times. And obviously, Kevin Durant's gonna be ramped up a little bit. A place like Phoenix, it wouldn't be as bad as Brooklyn or San Francisco or a place like Memphis. That's a small market, and you've got a team there that is ready to win. You could automatically you'd be teaming up with John Morant because the Grizzlies are not giving up John a trade as much as Brooklyn would want to. They'd probably get Jaron Jackson in return, and you've got a guy in jaw who it seems like he meshes well with teammates and it wouldn't be a problem there. It feels like that would be a great fit. I think Boston would be a good fit too, but I don't think that was ever a reality. I read a theory on Twitter and I know most of these things aren't real, but I like this a lot. And it was that Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets leaked all that information about Jalen Brown just to cause chaos. They never considered that. They just wanted chaos. They wanted Jalen Brown to get disgruntled and like, Honestly, at this point, who can blame the Nets? They they need a little bit of chaos to help them out to get a better trade package because Kevin Durant does not want to play in Brooklyn. And I I really like best possible fits. Probably like Boston makes a lot of sense. It feels like it would be a lot of fun with Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant. That seems like it would be a ton of fun. It's just like after the trade, who would be left? Phoenix. It feels like you could get something there, but they'd have to wait until like January, and they'd have that's when Aiton can be traded. It feels like there could be something there. You could have Booker and Durant 
and whoever's left. They've got a lot of depth in Phoenix, and it feels like something could work there. Or you could look at something like Portland. I've seen that thrown out around a lot on social media. And that could be where Dame, God love Dame, he didn't run from the grind, and it pays off. He loses C.J. McCollum, but they trade. Portland's got a lot of young assets. They trade away a lot of those young assets as well as a bajillion first-round picks for Kevin Durant. And you've got Portland where you've got KD and uh, Damian Lillard, and that would be electric. The West is a lot harder than the East, but – who cares when it's Dame and KD? I feel like they would mesh a lot better than uh, KD and Kyrie as well. But, yeah, I think it's going to come down to rather than the best team fit, it comes down to personnel. Because team-wise, the Brooklyn Nets should have won three straight NBA championships. But personnel, like the way these people mesh just as human beings, it doesn't work. And it's funny because right before we started recording, I came across a TikTok. And this girl, she was talking about how um, it was like it was like a meme. It said when the astrology girl learns about the NBA and she went through all of the Brooklyn Nets astrological signs. And she said, well, anyone should have known this wouldn't work. They don't mesh. Now, like, I'm kind of convinced. I was like, you have convinced me the astrological signs of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving don't line up. And. I, there seems like there's a lot of evidence. So I, I, I'm kind of convinced it's more of Kevin Durant needs to be somewhere where he gets along with his teammates and he can actually cooperate and win basketball games and they actually play together rather than two guys aren't playing at one time and it's him and a bunch of guys that are league minimum players because you've got all these max contracts. I, I think it really comes down to personnel rather than a super team because it's Kevin Durant and he's in his prime. I, I I really don't think it matters. Yeah. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, uh, especially the Celtics stuff. I think the Celtics intrigue me the most because like for the right part price, like you said, like I don't want, if you're the Celtics, you don't want to trade that guts, what you, what you've built. Uh, so I think like giving up Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown would be a deal breaker to me, but if you could somehow keep, one of those guys along with Tatum, then I think that deal makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, I think it's funny that the Celtics for like most of the past, like 10 years, I'd say have been the team that's known for stockpiling that draft capital ready to pounce when, one of when someone like Kevin Durant was ready to be traded for. And now all of a sudden he's available and the, that's what they're missing. You know, if they had a couple more first round picks, I think they could make that work. Um, but uh, I don't know if they're ever going to get the right price for that one. So I, I it, if you can get the right price, the Celtics is the right answer. But I, I just don't know if you're going to get the right price. I've seen a lot of people throw out teams like Toronto. Um, but the, like I, I think if you're in the group of like Toronto, Detroit, Cleveland, when you've drafted pretty well the past few years, there's no reason to throw all of that for like three years of Kevin Durant because like what you've built is probably going to have to all go – in this trade with the Nets in order to make it work, which uh, I'm sorry, gutting the one of those rosters, you're not going to, you're not going to be a championship team in the next three years. And KD is just going to walk from one of those places. So <clears throat> I don't think that really makes much sense to me. I think the, the team, and I, when I looked at it, that makes the most sense that no one's talking about is the New York Knicks. I think the New York could make this deal work. And I don't know, like, First, 
they've got young talent. They've got the guys that a team like Brooklyn would want. If you want a guy like Julius Randle, who's really turned his career around and is now really looked at differently than he was a couple of, uh, you know, not long ago. Uh, obviously, R.J. Barrett has, has looked highly on it. I don't know if the Knicks are ready to part ways for a guy, with a guy like that. But on the other hand, it's Kevin Durant. I mean, like, I, I, as good as you think R.J. Barrett is going to be, I don't think he's ever going to be Kevin Durant good. So uh, there, there's that. The Knicks have a ton of first round draft picks and a ton of draft capital. We all saw what happened this year with the with the draft that they've stockpiled those draft picks. And I think the third thing and the biggest thing is like I think one of these organizations needs kind of that wild they need to be a wild card kind of organization like the Nets were to make that work where it's like we're going to try something out and nothing makes me think of a wild card organization like James Dolan and the Knicks. I could very much see a guy like James Dolan just walking into the GM's office and going, hey, go make a move for KD. I don't care what happens on the back end. Just go get him because we have enough to go get him. And that, it, like, that's something I could see happening just because we've watched sports long enough and I know how these organizations work out. It, it can take just one decision in the back end for, for the Knicks to become the, the runaway favorites to sign KD. So I think... Really, the longer that it goes, uh, that makes more sense. I mean, KD, uh, you know, it, it would all come down to if KD wants to do that. And, hey, I mean, he already moved to New York once. What's what's moving just across the across the river one more time? So um, I think that's one that that's the most intriguing to me in terms of just like what could happen. I think if you're talking just the best fit, I don't think this would happen. But if you were saying just the best fit, which team I would move Kevin Durant to? I think the Dallas Mavericks would benefit the most from Kevin Durant. They are missing a guy like Kevin Durant that could take the load off of Luka and make that a one-two. The problem is, is Dallas just doesn't have anyone that you would want to trade for. I don't want anyone other than Luka off of that roster. So um, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But if I if I could choose, that would be the way that it would go. I would love to see uh, KD and Luka next to each other. That would be a lot of fun. But if you're looking at it from what I think is – realistic um like you said phoenix is probably the most realistic still at this point but um other than that it's really interesting because the one thing i don't understand is why so many people think that the nets are just gonna say oh we'll just keep him and 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 we're just gonna run it back next year he requested a trade and he's kevin durant like if he doesn't want to play for you he doesn't have to play for you. He will make more money off endorsements next year than he will off of your contract. So like if he doesn't want to play, he's not going to. So like, there's no, people need to take that out of their mind of like, Oh, they'll just give up and run it back with Kevin Durant. That's off the table. It's over. That's that, that part is over. So there's going to be a deal at some point. So it really is. Where is he going to land? Um, and I think it's really interesting to see, like, because as we get closer to, you know, they have time. They don't have to do it right away. But until the second they play a game and Kevin Durant's not there, then his value goes way off the table. And then everyone knows that he's holding out and he's not going to play for you. And now they can they can really lowball you with an offer. So they have time until game one of the regular season. And then you're in a real tough spot and trying to move them. So I, I, I think it's interesting. And I think it's only going to get more interesting as we get closer to that kind of set deadline. If you were the Sacramento Kings, would you trade your whole roster for Kevin Durant? Probably not. I mean, try like, to keep Fox. Like, 
the see, like they the thing is, is like they, at the not that the Kings have drafted competently in the past few years, but like when you're that far away from winning an NBA title and you only get like three years of Kevin Durant on the on the team, what's the point of trading a whole and trying to build a bunch of minimum league guys around him? You need you need something else. Well, need, what's the point of drafting guys, build them up a little bit, and then trading them to Indiana? <laughs> I mean, you know, I saw I, something. I don't. I, I really don't know what the the, the Kings organization's like plan. They've been to the playoffs in like nineteen years. Yeah, I, I it's saw been a that long time. There's zero active NBA players that have yeah. played the Kings in a playoff game. The only one that I could have would have been Chris Paul, and he obviously didn't. Line up right. LeBron like I, could have, but he was in the East. Like Bobby I think, Mello. I think the, the Detroit pro sports like scene is sad, but like Pistons were in the playoffs in like 2018 at least. Like, yeah, that drumming team. Yeah, they. I mean, they they weren't the the Tigers at least in like the 2010s were like good, like really good. Yeah, no active players have played any of them in the play. That's tough. The Lions <laughs> went to the playoffs twice. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really count until you win a game. Yeah, they still <laughs> made it. They it's made it. Sacramento. <laughs> All they got that basketball team that people watch, apparently. Uh,. All that is great stuff. On to your question before we get too far off track. Oh, I'm talking trades too. So, as you know from last week, I am laser focused on the MLB trade deadline. And I had no idea that the trade deadline is this upcoming Tuesday, uh, August 2nd. I I just remember last year we recorded during the trade deadline, and it was electric. And I was like, oh, it'll be on Thursday. It is not. It is on Tuesday. So we will uh, – the next time you hear us, it'll be after the trade deadline. And uh, I want to know, what trades do you expect, and do you expect your Tigers to make any moves? So there's been rumors that the Tigers might be making moves. Oh, I do believe that the Tigers will be making moves. I believe it is make or break time for the Tigers, and I believe it is break time for the Tigers. I don't think you should be surprised if there's a fire sale on everyone in the Detroit organization, and that includes Riley Green, and that includes Spencer Torkelson, and that includes Casey Mize, and Tor- everyone. Everyone is for sale, and do I love that idea? Hell no. I've waited the last like seven years to see all these guys get to the big leagues and it would hurt me to my core to see us trade them all away just as they get to the big leagues. At the same time, we're like 20 games under 500 at this point. It's failed. It's a failure. This roster has failed. and There's really nothing to salvage here. I would love to say that like Torque and green will be parts of like something that we could build in the future. But if it takes another seven years, they're not going to be around. They're going to sign with another team. If they're anything good, or we're going to cut them by the time that we get that time, because they're not going to be good enough. There's really no in between Uh, the cost benefit. is just going to be too much. So we need to get something for them while we really can. Uh, So really, they got to gut their team. They got to gut their team down to the fact that like they might trade AJ Hinch. Like they might trade manager, like the way that they, they really are going to clean house. I think this is going to be when you look back, one of the like biggest fire sales in trade deadline history, because like this was the year that they bought in. They, they pushed their chips to the center of the table and they've gotten a very poor output from it. Uh, less, 
way worse than you could have thought the bottom line of this team could have been. So uh, I think they're going to clean house as, as much as they can. And as far as bigger moves, yeah, I think Juan Soto could probably move. That would be pretty cool. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about the trade deadline? Um, this is the first time I think like ever I've like highly anticipated the MLB trade deadline because there's a 23 year old superstar in Washington that you just mentioned that is heavily rumored to uh, be going to St. Louis in a trade. And I, I've been torn back and forth. It's, it's funny because I'm in a group on Facebook called Cardinals Nation 24-7, and I never posted it. I just go in there and read because I just like seeing what people think. And it's crazy because, like, every time I get on there, there's, like, 100,000 people in this group. It's so big. Every time I get on there, it's something different. It's people, they don't want to trade for Soto. They don't think it's worth it. And some people are like, Soto's a Cardinal. We give up whatever it is. He's a Cardinal. And I thought in the camp of, I think you have to do it. It's He's a 23-year-old superstar that's already won a World Series. Like, he knows how to get to that point. And that's where the Cardinals are trying to get again. And this season for the Cardinals, I've never really considered this season like, oh, they're going to go win a World Series. This feels like a storybook season for the Cardinals, where you've got Pujols, you've got Molina, you've got Wainwright, all in the twilight of their careers. Paul Goldschmidt is having an MVP-like season at first base. Nolan Arenado's being Nolan Arenado. If you can have all that, and then you add Juan Soto at the trade deadline, and you make a push for the playoffs, oh, man. It just, it, that storybook feeling just increases. You've got the old legend in Albert Pujols teaching his ways to a mentor in Juan Soto. Juan Soto has said that he looked up to Albert Pujols. That was his favorite player. It just, there's so many just storybook elements. It just feels perfect. And from the sounds of it, a couple of days ago, the package that was going to have to be sent to Washington was a lot bigger. And the way the negotiations sound, this is all leaks. Nothing from this is confirmed. This is all leaks that I've read on the internet, which could be true, could not be, who knows. But from the talks of it, the Nationals want to get rid of Patrick uh, Corbin as well as Juan Soto. Corbin has a massive contract, and the Cardinals are like, you know what? It's worth it. But you're not going to get all of our prospects if we're taking on $60 million in a pitcher with a 6 ERA. You, like, and that's fair. I think the big stand-up on this is, do the Cardinals want to get rid of Jordan Walker, who is their number one prospect and one of the top prospects in baseball? Jordan Walker's 19 years old. When Juan Soto was 19 years old, he was about to win a World Series. Jordan Walker's in double-A. And I think that's where you're like, okay, we have to do it. And I, I think there's guys on the teams, you're like, well, do we really want to give up Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill? No, you don't, but it's Juan Soto. He's 23 years old, and he's – we both thought he was going to be the MVP this year at 23 years old. I think that's what it really comes down to. He's so young. He's so good. You have a chance to get him. It's literally a once-in-a-lifetime trade you can make, and you make it if you know for sure you can extend it. If he's not if he's not going to commit, then no, you don't make the trade. If you can sign him for 10 years, you have one Soto until he's 33 years old, you're damn right you make that trade. And as soon as you get that done, you get on the phone with every other team in the MLB and you try to get pitching. Because as soon as you have Juan Soto, you've got a team that's competing for the World Series. That offense would be too good not to compete. Because that immediately makes us better than the Brewers, in my opinion. The Brewers and Cardinals are very close right now. Neither one of them are tearing the world apart. The Brewers have a three-game lead, as I'm talking right now, over the Cardinals in the Central because the Cardinals 
have gone stagnant. They need something to excite them. And hopefully a 23-year-old superstar like Juan Soto would be it. I think there definitely could be other moves. I'm not just going to talk about Juan Soto as much as I would love to. But I, I really do think if Juan Soto's traded, it's going to be to St. Louis. I, I said this last week. I feel even more so this week. That's that's how it's going to be. And I'm really excited about it. Because it just feels like it feels like how it should be. The last couple of years, it feels like all these big names have only gone to the big markets on the coast, whether it was the West Coast or East Coast. Let's get the Midwest going. Come to St. Louis. Come to Detroit. Come to teams like that, not just the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Mets or the Dodgers or the Padres. Come to the Midwest, not the biggest markets. It, it's baseball. There's money everywhere. Who cares? Just go win championships. Go put on uh, shows in these smaller markets. Um I think that, like you said, the Tigers, that could be monumental, the sell they have. I think just about everyone could get traded. I don't think Javi Baez will get traded, uh, but that's because he just signed. He might. You never know. Um, I think there's going to be like guys like Carlos Rondon, who just signed with the Giants last offseason. He could get traded because the Giants have struggled. Uh, the Guardians will probably move a pitcher or two. It'd be really cool if they move Bieber, but Bieber's he's been up and down. He's been Shane Bieber, and then he hasn't been Shane Bieber, so who knows? Um, it's really interesting. Andrew Bill, uh, Benintendi from Kansas City, more than likely going to be a Milwaukee Brewer. It feels like that's like a done deal, uh, but it's like formalities at this point. I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. I don't think it's going to be quite what it was last year with like the Cubs fire sale and all the explosiveness, but I, I think it's going to be a fun one. And if we see a trade involving Juan Soto, I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize like how mon- monumental that is, especially like at the same time in an opposite league, the NBA, where Kevin Durant might get traded. You've got two superstars about to get traded. And the difference between KD and Juan Soto, Juan Soto's 23 years old. Like he's like not even in his prime yet. And that's scary to even think about. I just, I, I think it's a really cool time. And I think it, it boils down to this. I think the NBA paved the way for this. Players have control now. And that's really, really cool. And we're seeing it pay off in ways of guys ask for trades and it's going to happen. They want to go somewhere else. They want to win rather than sitting in Washington, D.C. for 10 years, making $440 million and doing nothing because that's what he would have done. He doesn't want to be there. So they're like, all right, he makes the rules. We're going to do it. We're going to try to trade him. I think it's going to happen. It's very exciting. It's an exciting time to be a sports fan. And hopefully it's an exciting time to be a Cardinals fan. I think one of the the failures of the MLB is to is people that are not in depth with the game not understanding how just truly talented Juan Soto is. Like people compare him to Ted Williams at 23 years old. Like they say he's the next Ted Williams and there's reasons for that. It's not just like oh he looks like it. Like the analytics back it up and back it up by a large majority. Like he's doing things that have never been done before. I mean, when you look at, like, I think his career in the minor leagues is just, like, astonishing when you hear it because, like, I know guys have rocketed to the – to the pros really quickly. I think like Strasburg took like 200 games or something. Harper was like a hundred games. It took one sort of like 20 games to get to the pros. And like, he just, it was just like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a pro. Like he's ready. And, and then he was in the world series as a 19 year old. So I, I think that's like, people need to understand like the fact that he's on the market. Like, yeah, that's a, you're picking up a generational type 
ten, like you 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 would immediately trade for him, sign him to a ten year mega contract that no one's ever heard of before because he's that type of talented. So yeah, I think if you've got a chance to get Juan Soto, man, you, you good for good for your team, good for your team because I, we're not in that situation here in Detroit. One of my buddies, his brother played in the national system. My buddy played baseball at Murray State. His brother played baseball in the national system. And I guess he was in double A or triple A, whatever it was. And he actually was playing with Juan Soto. And he called his brother and he said, this guy Juan Soto is the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life. And I remember hearing that. I mean, that's been – he was probably – when Juan was 19 or 18 years old. And I was like, okay. And then obviously Juan Soto ended up beating the Cardinals – the Nationals. Baseball is not a one-game sport, but Juan Soto and the Nationals beat the Cardinals in the NLCS, and then they beat the Astros in the World Series. I'm like, okay, you, you might have had something there. This Juan Soto guy's all right. And then just remembering that and seeing where he's gone and how he's progressed, and now obviously even more invested as he all these trade talks and obviously connected with my team. It's just been what a whirlwind of a week and a half or whatever it's been. And then as we get closer to Tuesday, it's going to get even crazier. All right, uh, that'll do it for the question and answer stuff. Uh, awesome stuff there as always. We're going to get back into the Pac-12 stuff in place of this week in sports. It's the Pac-12 preview. Uh, as we did last week, we moved from a silent conference on the East Coast to a very loud conference on the West Coast. USC and UCLA are reportedly on their way out, uh, but not if Cal gets Cal Berkeley gets their way. Uh, Obviously, when I wrote this, this was before the news earlier this morning where it seems like possibly Cal, uh, Stanford, Oregon, and Washington could also be on the move to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is eyeing those four teams as well. So the the Pac-12 is in turmoil uh, uh, compared to the silent ACC. This is a, a raucous conference with a lot of implications, setting up a wild next two seasons uh, with USC and UCLA on their way out in 2024. So, uh Dylan, I'll let you jump right into it. What are your thoughts on a wild conference uh, out West this year? I love the Pac-12. And that's not just because I've in the last year I became a bandwagon USC fan. I've always I, – I don't know. It's like – it's that warmth in my heart thinking about a late game on a Saturday night. It's 10 p.m. and USC and Washington State are just now kicking off. I don't know. I like that idea. It's I don't know. It's like a comfort zone for me. But I've got a few quick notes and then I'll go into my breakdown. Uh, the few quick notes. It's the Conference of Champions. How do you not love the Pac-12? And then Bill Walton should commentate football games. That That's a special part of Pac-12 basketball. I think get him in the booth for a football game. I know Bill Walton might not be a football guy. Who cares? It's it's Bill Walton talking. It's like a Bill Walton podcast every time he does a basketball game and it's electric. I'd be all for it. Um, obviously, this is the first season of USC having Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, and every other hot transfer in the country at USC. Uh, the rest of the Pac-12 probably hates USC and UCLA because they want to leave. Um, is this the first time anyone has ever left LA for the Midwest rather than the reverse? Uh, I had that question written down. And then uh, Gavin Newsom is very angry, the governor of California. And now those were my quick notes. And then I've got kind of my, my storylines like I did last week. We've got the new coaches. Rather than the ACC where you got all the quarterbacks, you got three big-time programs with three big-time new head coaches. you got Lincoln Riley, obviously, at USC. you got Dan Lanning, the former defensive coordinator from Georgia at Oregon. And you got Kalen DeBoer coming over from Fresno State to Washington. Those are the three historic programs. We've talked a lot about Oregon and USC already in the show. Washington's a powerhouse in the Pac-12. I feel like for – 
everyone on this side of the country, obviously we're, we're kind of in the Midwest Eastern side of the country. We, I feel like we forget about Washington because they haven't been the best in the past like five years. They were in the college football playoff not long ago. And like that Washington's a really solid program. They've always been good, but it feels like, I don't know. I feel like people forget about them. That's a good program. And it feels like Kalen DeBoer is in a very good spot to kind of go under the radar because Washington, I spoil it. I don't have Washington being all that great this year. Cause back to, I think it's packed heavy or pack heavy top heavy this year. I think there's a couple really good teams and then everybody else is probably gonna be fighting for the middle. Um, my favorites. In the South Division, I think you got a three-team race. It's probably two teams, but I'm going to call it a three-team race because I'm fair like that. We got Utah, USC, and UCLA. I think those are probably the three best teams. Uh, you got one other team in the North Division, but those three teams are really good. Um, we know what we're getting with Utah. They're a tough football team. Uh, they won their first Pac-12 title last year. They got good defense. Kyle Winningham. He just he has them playing winning football. He's a really, really good coach, and that's what we've seen from them. Cameron Rising, their quarterback, is really, really good. And I, I think he's gonna do an excellent job of leading that Utah uh, team yet again this year. USC, they're kind of a mystery because we know how much talent they have. You've got a Blitnikoff Award winner and Jordan Addison. Yeah, Caleb Williams, former number one player in the country, transfer from Oklahoma, who kind of like reignite Oklahoma season last year. Lincoln Riley, who was the coach at Oklahoma, won countless Big 12 championships, took him to the playoff countless times. And it feels like you've got this generational trio of a coach, a receiver, and a quarterback, and Riley, Williams, Addison. And will it all fit in this big market of L.A.? How does it work? I really like USC, obviously, and that's bias. But that's also just me being a football fan, having watched this talent they, they have. They have a really good team in a conference that I like the Pac-12. Pac-12 is not near as strong as other conferences, like the SEC, the Big Ten, or maybe, uh, no, I'd say the SEC and the Big Ten. I, uh, after that, the Pac-12 might be next. The uh, or the Pac- Yeah, the Pac-12. Big 12, probably a mystery there. But yeah, I, I think the USC is really good. It's just, I don't know, it's hard to tell. They're, they're, it's a mystery, like I said. Uh, luckily for us, USC and Utah play. And I, I consider them my top two dogs. October 15th, that's when you're going to want to circle on the old calendar. Uh, Utah and U- USC is going to be incredible. And then I said in, in the South Division, don't sleep on UCLA. That's a team uh, that I think will go under the radar. All the talk in the Pac-12 is centered around Utah and USC, but the Bruins are good. Uh, Chip Kelly's doing his thing again, this time at UCLA and go LA. They had their best record since 2015 last year with wins over UL- or wins over LSU in Washington. Dorian Thompson Robinson's legit and might be the best quarterback in the conference. I know Caleb Williams is great. Cameron Rising is great. DTR's been doing that thing. And he's putting up crazy numbers in the Chip Kelly offense like quarterbacks do. Uh, both SC and Utah have to go on the road to face UCLA. That's a huge, huge thing. Huge home field advantage for UCLA over the two best teams in the conference in my division. The North Division, it's Oregon. And I, I feel like Everybody else is kind of trying to catch up to Oregon. The only thing about Oregon is they got a new head coach. Mario Cristobal dipped to go to South Beach uh, and coach Miami. They don't have to play SC, but they do get Utah at home, which is a huge advantage, like I mentioned, with UCLA. 14 starters coming back for Oregon, which is huge. On a team that went 10-4 and last year, they got good old Auburn transfer Bo Nix competing with Ty Thompson for the starting position. It'll probably be Bo Nix. They got an SEC guy. Head coach and Dan Landing, the former defensive coordinator at Georgia, it'll probably be Bo Nix game one. 
And Bo Nix, love him or hate him, he's he's very polarizing. He can get the job done. He's done. He did very good things at Auburn, and I, I think he could get the job done at Oregon this year and be a quarterback that's starting in the Pac-12 championship game. And the only other team I have in the North Division is Washington, but they're a complete mystery. I who knows? They got a new head coach, and he's he's reunited with Michael Penix Jr., who you probably remember from Indiana. Obviously, Caleb DeBoer was uh, the offensive coordinator at Indiana back in 2019, so he's reunited with Michael Penix, and who knows how that'll work out? I think I think Caleb DeBoer is set up for success, but it's going to take a little while. He, he's in. He's behind the other guys. Don't sleep on Oregon State, but again, I mean it's. Uh, the Pac-12 championship game. I got USC over Oregon. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Trojans, and then my players to watch. I mentioned a lot of them already: Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, the Oregon transfer that went to USC, uh, Cameron Rising at Utah, Tavion Thomas at Utah, Bo Nix at Oregon, Noah Sewell, Panay Sewell's little brother at Oregon, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA, uh, Zach Charbonnet, the running back at UCLA, and then uh, Damian Martinez, the running back at Oregon State, is really really good. Pac-12 is a fun conference, and I feel like it's very top-heavy. We're going to see a lot of good football in the Pac-12, and I'm very, very excited for it. I'm uh, excited to see what you're going to say about the good old conference champions. I mean, you said most of everything that has there is to be said, so I, I will keep my stuff short and sweet. I really have three teams to talk about. Oregon is first up because they intrigue me. Like like a lot of you, I was a bandwagon Oregon fan uh, back in the day, and uh, I still some somewhat keep up with the Ducks. Uh, as much as I can, because uh, like you said, they're a program I think that most college football fans want, like regardless of their success, like I would like to have that program as being my program. So it's like I, I've kind of adopted them as my second program. And like you said, with Dan Landing, the Georgia defensive coordinator taking over, it's it's kind of like cemented the shift that Oregon has been on. Like when we started watching Oregon, they were very much an offensive heavy team with Joey Harrington into Dennis Dixon into the prime Oregon years that we remember with Chip Kelly. And now uh, with Chris, coach Cristobal was uh, very much defensive oriented in the trenches type. And now, you you know, you got, you got the Georgia defensive coordinator. You're, 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 you're on a complete 180 from what you were at with Chip Kelly. So uh, I think the biggest question mark is like what you said with what Bonex can provide for that Oregon offense because like I think they're going to be way far ahead defensively uh, against the teams that they're going to face in that North division. It's going to come down to how they play against Utah. And uh, you know, that's, that's the biggest game and how the, a a guy like Bo Nix can respond uh, is going to be a big deal. It it gives them a veteran presence that they weren't going to have a quarterback, which, which makes them even more intriguing than they would have been. So I I do like that move, even though Bo Nix, like you said, can be very polarizing. I'm intrigued to see how big USC's jump is going to be. I think people do need to like calm down a little bit because you're throwing a lot at the wall and hoping it all sticks together. It's kind of, I, I hope it's not like a Brooklyn Nets situation, but you might be setting up a very tough situation when you've got like all the best players from Oklahoma joining all the best players from USC and they all have to fit in the Lincoln Riley system. And it's like, well, which one does he, does he prefer USC players? Cause that's the place he went or does he prefer the Oklahoma players where he recruited the, you know, like it's a, it's a tough situation to be in if you're in USC right now. And you've got, it's not like 
most situations like that where you're not expected to do a lot, where you have a couple of years to kind of build on that reputation. People expect a lot from USC this year because they have all that talent. And I think uh, that can work against you in ways. And it has worked against USC in the past. So uh, this is going to be a really big measuring stick for a guy like Lincoln Riley. Like, can you weather all of those storms and just, get the football down to what we know you can run. Because if it just comes down to talented guys playing football, that team's going to be very, 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 very good. But if they let the other things get in the way, then that's when things can be a problem. And, and like you, I'm big on Utah this year. I I don't know. uh, I know a lot of people are big on USC. Like you said, Oregon's probably big in in the North, but they're the defending PAC 12 champs. They're one of 21 teams in the country to bring back their head coach, their starting quarterback and both coordinators. Uh, And that's from a PAC 12 winning team. That team is very, very good. And and I think till proven otherwise, they should be the favorites. I think they're going to be the team to be throughout. I think even USC should be looking like, okay, we've got to beat Utah because they're, they're the favorites right now. So uh, I really like Utah. I think they're going to be the ones uh, people are chasing, but we'll see how that plays out. I think this this season is going to be really, really weird for the Pac-12 because a lot of teams are vying for, like, where are they going to fit in in this new Pac-12 art? Is USC or is USC and UCLA the only ones leaving? Or Washington, Oregon, are those teams leaving? Uh, is it time for those other teams to start thinking about joining the Big 12 and making a, a third super conference out there? It, it's a weird time to be a Pac-12 team. I think it's going to be it's going to be even weirder to be like those teams like Washington State or Oregon State who are kind of left out in the dust right now who don't really have a plan and and, and really no one's looking for them. So uh, it's interesting to see they should be like they got to go all out this year. Like you said, or, like Oregon State, they need to really like when they have a national TV spot show out because they've got they're, they're selling their program to the rest of the country right now what can you bring to the whatever the third best conference is going to be? Because that's really what uh, that's what they're auditioning for this year. So it, it's really interesting to see. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of fun out there. Obviously, Pac-12 after dark, it's going to be a lot of fun. My player of the year, I do think it's going to be Caleb Williams at USC. I don't know if USC is de- necessarily going to be better than Utah. I do think Caleb Williams is going to put up some stupid numbers in Lincoln Riley's system in USC with Jordan Addison as his wide receiver. That's going to be fun to watch, regardless of how they do wins and losses wise. Uh, and for the Big Twelve or Pac Twelve Championship, I'm going Utah over Oregon in the. I think un- until proven otherwise, the the Utes are the ones to beat. Um, but that's it. That's all I got for the Pac-12. Anything else you got? Anything? Any final thoughts? Uh, Surprisingly, really do that's really what we got for today. Um, I did not see my Pac-12 player of the year. I'm gonna go with Bo Nix. Let's get crazy. I and that's just off of. I really like Bo Nix. I like what he did in the SEC. I think he's getting a second chance at Oregon. I really hope he takes it and runs with it. And I, I think he could. I think Oregon's got a schedule that favors that. And I think he could have a big season. They're not going to win the Pac-12, but he might be able to put up numbers. He might be able to do the thing. I'd like to see Bo Nix win Player of the Year. It's going to be Caleb Williams. It's a thousand percent going to be Caleb Williams. But I'm going to go with Bo Nix. I like Bo Nix. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan Show this week. Dylan, do you have any final general thoughts before we get going? I do. I wanted to share something really quick. I talked about UFC London uh, at the beginning of the show. 
And I absolutely love that event. I thought it was fantastic. Patty the Batty, the fighter. Uh, I've become a fan of his because of videos I've seen on TikTok or Twitter or whatever. He's just an, a charismatic dude. And it's like, how can you not like him? He's funny. He's obviously a good fighter. He's just he's easy to like. And after his fight, uh, he got the mic, he, as they do in the UFC during their pay-per-views. They give him a little bit of mic time on TV to say kind of whatever they want, whether it's trash talk, call out another fighter, whatever it might be. And Patty took the mic, and he talked about mental health. And I thought that was really important. I, it, was, it was a really, really good speech because if you know Patty, he's got that, he's got that uh, British uh, dialect. And the way he talks, it's just you can't. Uh, turn away from the screens you gotta you gotta kind of look at him while he's talking if you're not used to it but i mean his message was just so so important he talked about how the day before he found out that one of his friends had killed himself and he basically said he was like i i want my mate to cry on my shoulder not attend this funeral and i was like yeah i was like that is a really really good message and he used this time on tv on pay-per-view to say that and i thought that was really really important he said men don't have to worry about being seen as kind of like wussies or whatever he's like you can talk about mental health. You can talk about if you're struggling. Find someone to talk about. I was like, yes, that is awesome. He used his time to say that. And I thought that was really, really impressive uh, that a guy that everybody kind of sees as like a, a jokester and like a comedian in the fighting world to go out there and be serious like that. I thought that was really, really important. And I, I think he probably made a lot more fans Saturday. Making that gesture was really, really neat. So, yeah, I just want to say good on Patty the Batty. And congrats to my stepfather. He made the Murray High Hall of Fame this week, and I'm so proud of him. He coached me in football at Murray High, coached there forever. I, I'm sure like 70 years he was a coach at Murray High and uh, had lots of success with Murray High football and so, so proud of Scott and can't wait to see him inducted in October. But, yeah, uh, I think I'm good there. Uh, DHL. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore at TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports, Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports, and on the web at tvsportsmag.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. See you later.